Today we're going to talk about uh, um, being on mission together and what that might look like. We're going to get our instruction from the Word, the Bible. That's where we, we root everything here. When God calls us together as his people, he calls us to a purpose. Over and over again you see it in the Bible where God's people serve a purpose together. And that's something that, that I want to struggle with today with you um, in the Word. right? So we're going to talk through that. I'm going to ask you, we're going to do something we've done at least twice today. I'm going to ask we enter in a prayer. Jesus was pretty serious about praying, and we are too. So would you pray with me as we begin to study God's word? Uh, Father, this morning we've come here to sing your praises and indeed to enter into your presence. Uh, for all the, the, the resistance we have to enter in, for the fear that we have to come too near to you, I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw us to yourself today. I pray that as we look at the, the scripture today, that you would illuminate your word, that you would give it life and breath among us, that your Holy Spirit would indeed well up inside those who have called you Savior and Lord and call us into the life that you have for us. And may we know you more fully. May we set aside all the stuff that keeps us out. And Father, I do that word today we've already received that if there's things we need to confess and repent of or refocus on that you would do that work in our lives that we could be more glorifying to you and more fulfilled in our purpose here on earth we give you glory and praise because all this is coming to your throne all this is coming into your kingdom and so we give you our time and our attention today in jesus name amen um so i'm just going to jump in here a little bit uh talking about this. We're going, to be, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts. Uh, Acts is always a great place to start when you're talking about church life, and we're kind of kind of put this at the end of this What If the Church series, and I know there was a million What If the Church questions we could keep asking. Some people were like, hey, here's another question, here's another one. Um, but today I want to talk about, so what, what, is, what does it look like for Family Bible Church in some way, maybe? Um, and we're going to look at the scripture today. Chapter 2 of the book of Acts um, if you don't know, the book of Acts is written as part, like in a gospel extension, right? The gospels are the stories of Jesus. That's what we talk about all the time. Jesus changed everything. But the book of Acts becomes the, how the church begins to live out the promises of God. I mean, in a different way, and we're going to see today in this text how they lived out things differently in the same exact context, in the same exact environment or culture they were in before Jesus showed up on earth. I take great comfort from the fact that the disciples themselves didn't have it together when they followed Jesus. They were trying to figure it out as they went, and uh, some of the early stories in Acts kind of merit that out. But here today, we're going to come in at the very heels, and it's a story that's kind of lost because of the profound nature of what happens right before it. You see, right before what we're going to read today, the Holy Spirit descends on the people of God. I mean, Jesus said that to his people. He said, if you believe in me, you will receive the Holy Spirit. He actually says, you will be clothed with power from on high. That's what the word says. To all his disciples, and that's people who are learning to be like Jesus, you will be clothed with power from on high. And, and we read that, and that's the first part of chapter 2. And we read that, and we're like, man, it's awesome. But I want to start in 42 because this gets kind of jumped over a lot as we study this passage of Scripture. Read with me, if you will. This is what the Word says. They, that's the disciples, by the way, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This Jesus thing started as a really small deal. I mean, it was earth-changing, but it, 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 he came and he began to teach a, a few people, and thousands gathered for the miracles, but only a few were there for the instruction, for the teachings of Christ. But we know the truth is that on the cross, he was alone, utterly abandoned. Indeed, he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? as he paid the price for all of our sins. He, he's raised from the dead, and when he comes back, he tells his disciples, I'm going to go to be with the Father, and then you will be clothed with power from on high. Well, this happens. I want to back up a little and read in verse 40. It says, um, or 41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day, right? So those who believed that Jesus is the Messiah, that his death on the cross paid for all of their sins, and that he was going to change everything, were baptized as his followers. 3,000 people that day. And then the word says, they, who? Those people who were baptized, believing, followers of Jesus, did these things. This is the beginning of, of life in the church. I love that the, uh, sometimes, I encourage you guys all the time, that there's so many tools out there now that are absolutely free. I mean, there's information is everywhere, right? You can find anything. I could probably ask you the stupidest question ever, and you could find it like in 3.2 seconds on Google, could you not, with your smartphones? I mean, we have, well, the same is true for as we study scripture. There, the tools are out there to look and to see what the word says. Look for yourself. This is what the word says here. They devoted themselves to. We're talking about four things that the early church devoted themselves to as followers of Jesus, as people who are clothed with power from on high. But I want to talk about that word, what it means to be devoted to something. Anybody go out to the football game Friday night here in Highland? A few people? Yeah, I know. I saw you there, Jim. Yeah, that was pretty awesome, right? I mean, it's awesome when you're winning. That's awesome, isn't it? Well, I worked the chains on the football out there. It's a pretty hard job. A lot of exercise involved, a lot of skill. Why do you guys laugh? Why, they put us in orange because it's so important. They're like, watch these guys. This is not easy. I was all cramped up the next day from all the running. <laughs> That's true, sadly. Well, we get to hear some crazy stuff being on the sidelines of the football game. And one of the things we heard is the opposing coach. Now, it's frustrating when you're losing, right? And so usually the coach at first starts coaching the team, but then he starts coaching the officials. <laughs> you know what I mean? Then he starts coaching everybody. Then he start, he's just mad. He's just at the bus ride home. is going to be more miserable, right, after you have that game Friday night when you're the opposing team. But one of the things he started complaining about at the end of the game is that there was illegal motion on the field, and he was screaming at our sideline judge. He's, that's your call. They can't do that. Who knows what illegal motion is? Yeah, I didn't know what it was really necessarily. But apparently, and I'm going to show you my athletic prowess. Don't laugh at me, Mr. Barber. Some of these guys would get back there and they would do this thing right here before the snap. And you can apparently do all this, but you can't go what? Forward. That's the violation. You can't go Forward. 
all those young strapping men get down in the three-point stance, however you do that, I don't know how you do that, right? And they, 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 they set up to, you know, stand up on the line. Bam, right? They're leaning in. They're, they're ready. They're aggressive. And there was some players on the Highlands team that was doing this bit, and the coach is so frustrated because he swears they're making forward motion while they're just sitting there. He's losing by like, what was it? 30-something points, the coach was. I mean, he's frustrated. Why? Because if that man can get just a few steps forward, if he can start going, boy, he's got potential to do unbelievable damage. A few steps is such an advantage. And, and when Paul, when the, or the, the author of Acts writes here and he says, they devoted themselves, that's what it means. It doesn't mean that they went... Oh, Lord, I'm devoted to you. I'm so devoted. You know what I mean? It means they lean forward, the apostles, the disciples. They were clothed with power from on high, and they leaned into it. They were waiting for the call. We're ready. We're ready. They were in the backfield doing this, and I bet you a few of them were taking, they were, they were illegal motion. You know what I mean, they were mo- moving toward the line of scrimmage because they were ready to go. Don't believe me. Look it up. That's exactly what it means. It means to lean into it. To be ready to go, play. To, to be ready to, to work. This is what they did when it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So there's four things that they, they did this for. They leaned into it. And I would encourage you today, and I'm challenged myself, that we should lean into these things as followers of Jesus. As receivers of his Holy Spirit, we should lean into these things in our life. And the first is this, the apostles' teaching. In the Gospel of Matthew, we get the Great Commission. The Great Commission, I've told you guys this over and over, but I, I just, it's, so, it's so critical what we're trying to do. He says, Jesus says this, Therefore, because I'm always with you, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to what? Obey everything I've commanded. The early followers of Jesus leaned into his teachings. They knew that the things he said mattered. They knew that the ways that he taught mattered. And they they looked at their life and they said, we want to live like that. We want to be like Jesus. And they lived into the apostles' teachings. The apostles were those who were sent by God to proclaim the gospel. We're going to talk next week about how far that sending extends into the church. But for now, we're going to let it there. They they leaned into these teachings, these instructions from Jesus. In the church, sometimes I'm, I'm encouraged because people want to be like Jesus. I'm discouraged because we don't even often know what he taught. Right? Me too. I mean, we just insert our favorite you know, activity here, and we say, Jesus likes that activity, so I can do it. But he taught very specific things to his followers. He, he taught us that there's a kingdom coming that's like nothing you've experienced before. And as a matter of fact, the more, and I'm going to pot, the more you know Jesus' teachings about how things ought to be, the more you will sense the brokenness of the world and everyone around you including yourself. The more you lean into the teachings of Jesus, the more you like, you go, it's just not like that here. It's not like it should be, according to our Savior, Jesus. According to his spirit who dwells in us. 
things are not as they should be here. But they leaned into this. The second thing they leaned into besides the teaching was the fellowship. And fellowship is one of those words I talked about a few weeks ago. Talked about church words. Fellowship is funny. I don't know if you have any context for fellowship at all. Anybody have a context? How you can use that word? Anybody use that word in the last week? I know a few of you did because you said it with, you know, that was some good fellowship. Yeah? It's kind of a hard word to use in, like, mixed company outside the church. What is fellowship? You know, we're, what, you know what we're going to do next week at the Fall Fest? We're going to fellowship. Okay. I'm not going to go, but whatever. <laughs> you know, because I don't know what that means. You're all going to fellowship? Okay. You know, you know we're just going to hang out. That's what it means for most of us. We're going to, boy, that was a sweet time of fellowship, wasn't it? You know, they had this idea of fellowship, just like chilling with your homies. You know what I mean? Just kicking back and relaxing and, and all that stuff, you know? But it's not. Fellowship is, is more, and I'm going to nerd out a minute. I'm not way big of a nerd, but I love Tolkien. Fellowship of the Rings, right? It's this conglomerate of people who don't really belong together, but commit to one another anyway. That's what biblical fellowship looks like. It's the same exact word as to share together. It doesn't just mean to sit and chill and then depart and see what happens. And boy, that's a shame. Your life's like that and my life's like this. It means you're invested together. It means you're, you're um, well, I was going to say on mission together, but it means you're bound up. You know, it's like the whole deal in Tolkien is talking about these groups of disparate people, these different groups who are going to link arms and do this mighty task together. That's what fellowship looks like. Fellowship does look like chilling with your homies, but it also looks like having each other's back. It means when the times get tough, you're, you're in it, you know? It means kind of what the, the opposing team did even didn't really help in their game when they walked out holding hands. Tell teenage boys to hold hands and they take the field. What's that about? They're trying to communicate something about. They're committed together. They're in it together. I am not a team. I'm part of the team. So the second thing the disciples, the, these, these believers in Jesus, committed themselves was fellowship, being bound up together. And they talk a little bit about what that means in the text that we read. They, they kind of expound on that concept, what it means to be bound together like that. The third thing they committed themselves, so far, so far we got this. We got um, uh, the teaching of Jesus, the apostles' teaching, which is the teaching about Jesus the Christ. And, and the second is being bound up together, you know, committed in it to win it, sharing together. The third is the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. And, and that literally does mean sitting down and having a meal. You know? I, I don't understand it. Maybe some of you know why. But I know that they would make bread, and it was never to be cut. Always broken. Always broken. Never cut. We have sliced bread, right? Like, you ever heard that saying, uh, the best thing since sliced bread? You know why we like sliced bread? Anybody know why you like sliced uh, Anybody? I like Wonder Bread because I think it's a hilarious logo. I just love Wonder Bread. Wonder White Bread. I love that. <laughs> anybody know why? Other than the heels, who wants the heels? That's right, Dean. That's me too, baby. Love the heels. I wish I could dig the back one out and have them together first. Get that out of the way. It's fair. It's fair. 
Your slice is the same as your slice is the same as your slice. It's fair. Look how fair this is. We can make sandwiches that are exactly the same. This is so fair. Hey, you, want, you don't want your crust on yours? I'll cut it off for you because it's fair. And I'll cut yours in diagonals because it's fair. It's white bread. Right? Cook a whole loaf of bread and try to make sandwiches for your family. Get a bunch of hungry kids around a table with a whole loaf of bread. Have them break bread together, right? His piece is bigger than mine, and well, I got this little piece, and you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not fair anymore. It's just not fair when you break bread. Why does dad get the big piece? Because dad's the boss, you know? That's why dad's the heaviest guy at the table, too, but we won't talk about that. You know what I'm saying? These disciples, they committed themselves to breaking bread together. It mattered. And it mattered that it wasn't cut, it was broken. Again, they expounded on that later. Why? Why? Because not everyone has the same needs. It's different. We're in it together. Break the bread. Take some for yourself. Pass it down. And, the, and then the fourth, so that's the third thing, is that breaking the bread. And I can't, this is a beautiful thing because it's something that's so simple we miss it. It's just having a meal together, hanging out together, doing life together, hearing the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's what church ought to be about. That's what we ought to be doing together. And then the fourth is prayer. And that just means going to the Lord. And you know, it's funny that the, the, the prayer is mentioned fourth because I'm sure it's not the fourth most important thing that they're called to do, Right? But when you commit yourself to the teaching of Jesus, and when you commit yourself to one another, binding each other up and saying, we're in it together, and when you've broken bread together and you've seen the guy that takes the big piece every time, you know what I mean? You got something to pray about. <laughs> Don't you? You got something to pray about. Jesus, I, I, I can't possibly live up to your teaching. How, how can I possibly? Lord, show me how I can live that out. This person is driving me crazy, or I drive that person nuts. Show us how we can stay in it together. That's a prayer or breaking the bread. It's not fair, Lord. It's not fair. Why is it so hard? It's not fair. It's a prayer. Praying together, seeking God's solutions for our problems, asking him to be involved. I think sometimes we're so afraid to truly do that, to go to God with our real petitions, our real burdens, and pray. Take a little rabbit trail here just for a moment with you, okay? Sometimes we have this tendency to jump right to the God's will. I'm a good Christian. You know what I pray for? God's will. That's what I pray for right? Because it's like safety prayer. You know what I mean? Then no matter what happens, you know, nothing, because it was God's will. Obviously, it's God's will, right? Jesus himself in the garden of Gethsemane with sleeping disciples who can't stay awake for five minutes to pray with him, bows down, and he prays to his father, and he says, please, if there's any way this cup can pass before me, that's his prayer. If there's any way that the sin can be forgiven without my blood, if there's any way but the cross, if there's anything else that can be done, Father, I've taught everything, I've told them everything you told me, I've done all the miracles you told me, and yet here I am alone on the night of my death, and if there's any way, I don't have to drink this cup. See, that's interesting. And then he says, but not my will, Father, 
but yours. That's a different way to pray. Some of us jump right to that end part. You know, we'll be like Jesus. No, be like Jesus. Lord, I, I, I need your help with this. Lord, you know what I really want? Let me tell you what I really want in my life, Father. And then, brokenhearted, strung out, wore out, you know, hopelessly lost without Jesus, we say, but you know what? Whatever you want, I'll take. It's a different way to pray. Well, the disciples did this together. Those who first heard the teaching and had the power of the Holy Spirit on them. And I want you to see what happens in 43. It says that everyone was awestruck. The word awe actually means fear. (laughs) They were like, this is crazy. What's happening with these people? What they're doing together? All these things is amazing. And they were, you know, struck with fear. Fear of whom? Fear of the God who is over these people. Fear of the Lord. Not of these men. These men weren't in a very powerful position. These folks, I shouldn't say many, men and women, everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done in that time, right? You guys are doing big stuff in this church. 44. And all the believers were together. There's that word again. That word is the same. They leaned in, they're bound up, right? And had everything in common. Right? That, that's the same as the um, fellowship word. They held everything in common. That's a miracle in itself. And if you can truly go to someone else and you can say, what I have is yours, you know, whatever I have, you can have. Boy, that's a hard thing. I don't know if it's always been as hard as it is. I, I think it's one of the hardest things for us to do in our culture, you know, you can have whatever you want of mine. You guys want to come over to the house after this? Walk through, put your name on stuff, take it home with you. Just take it. Whatever you need. That's hard living. Doing that for real. They held everything. The 45, they sold the things that they owned and they gave it to anyone as they had need. They cared for one another. Every day, they continue to meet together in the temple courts. Interesting, right? Their same place to proclaim the good news. They went back to the same stomping grounds. These were faithful believers in Yahweh, God. And there, they met together. And they, it, the word is kind of like a unified voice, you know? So when you, when you begin to do these things, and then you go out into your life, you begin to proclaim the gospel to others wherever you are. Your place of work, your place of business, your lifestyle, everything's changed. Nothing is the same anymore. And this is what these guys, they go back and they begin to proclaim together this new truth that God sent his son to die to forgive all of our sins and that we don't have to hold on tightly to things anymore. I don't know if you're like me. I need help with that. Every day they continue to meet together. <laughs> Read on with me in 46. They broke bread in their homes. And they ate together. And I love the way this sentence ends, right? This is like a reiteration of the previous statements of the four things they did. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Have you ever had a meal like that with somebody? I mean, anybody stressed out? Anybody got your guard up? Anybody wondering if somebody invites you over, you go, oh boy, what's going on? You know, 
mom or dad call or your friend, best friend, I got to talk to you. Can, can you and your husband or wife come over? <sighs> What's this about? Right? That's the way we live most of our lives. Guard up, shields up, protected. Have you ever had the experience, though, where you've sat around a table with friends and you've lost yourself in it? I mean, you let the guard down. You said some things later, you go, oh, I can't believe I said that to them. What are they going to think of me? Right? Or actually, with my case, my wife says that. I can't believe you said that to them. What are they going to think of you? <laughs> no. I mean, there, have you been on the car ride home where you're saying genuinely to someone else, man, that was fun, wasn't it? Like, we're surprised. It was nice. It was a meal. We broke bread. They broke bread with, in each of those homes with glad and sincere hearts. And I go, wow, well, the church could use more of that. You know, not agenda-driven meetings and, 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 and not power struggles or fights, but having a meal and just, you know, just, phew, that was great, wasn't it? You know, we just hung out together. That was awesome. You know what the, the glad and sincere, it's like, it means you're soft-hearted. It means with no rocks, no rocks in your heart, you know. You were just supple. It was nice. Had a nice time. This is the early church. They broke bread with glad and sincere hearts together. And then look what the manifestation is in 47. Praising God. You know, you just drive home and you go, that was fun. Yeah, praise God. That was awesome. Maybe, maybe for you, you don't do that much. Maybe I can challenge you that next week at our fall fest, you come out with that intention. Whatever else you think it's going to be about, maybe just come out and you just hang out. Let your guard down. Let your hair down if you got long hair, <laughs> whatever, you know. Have a good time. Be yourself. And trust that the church is going to love you anyway. And you go home with a, a glad and sincere heart, praising God. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your people. Thank you for the fellowship. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I love to, 47, they had the favor of all the people then. And then the very end, this, this is so funny because this, this is like the footnote, you know? After all this stuff, they dedicated themselves to these four things. They leaned into it. After all that stuff, at the end, it says, oh, P.S., by the way, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I mean, so many times we come in, we come with the gospel and, we're, and we think that it's like agenda-driven. We go up to complete strangers and we say, if you died today, do you know where you would go? And we mean it. It's a big deal. Or, or we feel as a church compelled that we have to get the gospel out there and we, we have to make these people believe it and it has to happen. And we're so far ahead of where Christ is in it because you see here it says, at the end of all this openness and love and table fellowship, the Lord added daily. The Lord added daily those who are being saved. Unless you think this is cockamamie stuff, I want to remind you that Jesus gathered up his disciples before he died at a table. And he broke bread and he gave thanks. And he said, every time you do it, remember me. There's something in it for the church I'm just going to let that be the challenge. Are you leaning into those things in your life? 
I mean, all four of them? Or do you have areas you could like, you know, you could be more sincere about? I'm going to do that. It's risky. I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to invite that person to come hang out with me, or I'm going to go visit with them. Whatever it is, I'm going to commit myself. I'm going to care what happens. Profound. Profound who the church could be if we would choose to do so. Our prayer is that by grace we're drawn in to the saving knowledge of Jesus. That's my prayer for everyone I meet. I don't do a good job of it, though. Please pray with me if you would. Father God, today we thank you so much for the instruction we get from your word and what it looks like to be together as your people. We pray, Father, first that for the ways we don't do it, we would get better at it. For the ways that we do it at all, we give you thanks because we, we don't know how to do this well. And Father, we pray that we would first open our homes, first open our tables, first soften our hearts toward others, that you could work in people as you will and that we would stop trying to control that process for others. May you be glorified as you continue to challenge us with our presumptions about what it means to be in your church and as we offer ourselves to you and to this world for whatever purpose you have. May you be glorified through the work of your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.